Welcome to Citizens Midweek. It's the podcast for our church family in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we take a deeper look at each week's sermon. I'm your host, Jacob Kirby, back after a few weeks off. Tim and some of our staff members were gone for a conference one week and then on vacation the next week. And then last week, we were joined by our pastor and friend from City Church in Knoxville, Kent Bateman. So weren't able to record a podcast with him after he went back to Knoxville. But we're glad to be back with you guys this week, starting a sermon series through the Book of Ruth that we're going through this fall. So we're excited that I've been in that today. Here we go. This week at The Gathering, we started our new four-week series, Working Through the Book of Ruth. We'll be taking a look at one chapter each week. Um, You may be familiar with the story of Ruth from the Old Testament. Um, I know a lot of people kind of think about it as a romance story, the story of Ruth and Boaz, but we're excited to kind of take a deeper look at it and see that there's a lot more to it than just finding a husband, finding a partner. Um, So this week in particular, we looked at chapter one. Chapter one might be the the chapter that you might be the most familiar with. It's kind of the introductory story of of Naomi and and Orpah and Ruth and kind of what happens to get them to where the main part of the narrative takes place. During a time of famine in the land of Judah, they they left to go to Moab. Um, and while they were in Moab, they the sons of Naomi and her husband took two wives. And one of those wives was Ruth. And um, you know, kind of along the way, Naomi's husband died. And then after her sons took the wives, Orpah and Ruth, Ten years later, she finds her sons both dead, and she's left with these two daughters-in-law, no children, uh, and kind of wonders, you know, where to go um, and what to do. And, you know, eventually what we work towards in the narrative is that she gives her her daughters-in-law the opportunity to, to be released from her, to go back to their homelands, and since they're young and without husbands, to find new husbands and to start new families. And, and one of them, Orpah, takes her up on that and kisses her and leaves, is kind of what the Bible story says there. But then Ruth makes a commitment to, to stay with Naomi. She makes a commitment, and kind of in the most famous passage says to Naomi, where you go, I'll go, where you, where you lodge, where you live, I'll live, I'll make your people my people, I'll make your God my God. Um, and it's this really powerful picture of, of her committing herself to her mother-in-law, despite her mother-in-law giving her a legal and kind of uh, kind of an out there. Um, so that's kind of what we covered in chapter one, at least, you know, kind of setting up the fact that this, I think Ruth sometimes is set up as kind of this eventually to stuff we haven't talked about yet, kind of set up as this like really dramatic love story, like, ooh, get your Boaz. Um, but we were kind of talking about how you know, it's so much more than that. It's such a deeper picture um, of a person than that. So really the story of Ruth is kind of, the res- it's a story for us about how we respond to suffering, how we respond to, to life not going the way we expect it to be. Naomi and Ruth experienced a lot of suffering. They ended up in, in Moab because they were fleeing a great famine in their homeland. And um, Naomi lost both her husband and both of her sons. Um, and, you know, even for Ruth, like presumably, after, you know, roughly 10 years of being with her husband, they cared for one another. So Ruth lost her husband who she cared for. And, um, you know, just a lot of, a lot of suffering in a really short amount of time. We're only, we're given all of that kind of in one chapter. And, um, so really for us, we talked about coming out of chapter one, you know, what are, what are our responses to our suffering? Which way do we go when we suffer? Um, one way would be like Naomi's husband, Elimelech, which is, you know, when we're tempted in our suffering, we would turn to not trust God, but to choose the own, or choose the path of compromise and sin. So if we follow in the footsteps of Elimelech, we would kind of make our own way and kind of venture out to try and fix things on our own when we face suffering. Um, or the other option would be maybe like Naomi, where we might be tempted in our suffering to not trust God at all and um, 
not trust God to go with him with to go to God with our despair, but in our suffering we might turn away from God in our bitterness. So those are kind of the two pictures we saw in chapter one, where Elimelech kind of goes fully pragmatist, fully let's get this done, let me figure out how to move on, and Naomi goes a little more spiritually depressed and goes a little, you know, forgets the faithfulness of God by turning towards bitterness and despair. Um, and then kind of, you know, looking at that, the fact that Ruth is a, is a better response. Um, Ruth offers faithfulness and honesty and remembering who God is and, you know, committing herself to what she knows to be true and um, trusting the sovereignty of God in all those ways. So that's kind of what we talked about in the first chapter. Um, there's a ton of stuff I missed. It was a pretty long sermon for us. But, um, yeah, that's kind of the general summary um, as much as I'm able to. Um, I think the part that stood out to me the most was... Um, I think whenever I heard the the kind of famous chapter one stuff about like where you go, I'll go, where you lodge, I'll lodge, my kind of, I grew up in the church, my cynicism goes straight to Chris Tomlin of like, <laughs> who you love, I'll love, you know what I'm talking about? I forgot about that song. Yeah. yeah where you go, I'll go. And like, yeah. I, think I've, I think I've forgotten that that was from Ruth because to me it's just like a very like missions kind of like, yeah. we're going to go out and do, which is a good thing, but I mean, I grew up in church it's kind of hard to not be cynical about Chris Tomlin sometimes because we sometimes I venture or kind of fancy myself to be a little bit, bit, I don't know, cooler than Chris Tomlin for whatever, but just kind of hearing like, Oh, well, that's not actually, it's actually a really powerful um, image of Ruth basically offering to replace her entire identity with Naomi's in a way of like everything that is true about you is going to become true about me. I'm going to, to, to give up the things that make me me to become what makes you you, where you live, where you're from, who your family is, who your God is. Um, I'm willing, as a sign of commitment to you, to, to let myself be defined by what you are. And I just thought that that was a really powerful picture of what happens when we start to follow Jesus, too. Everything that's true about Jesus becomes true about us. And, um, and she did so joyfully and willingly. It wasn't this, like, I've got no other options. I better, <laughs> I better just tuck in. Um, Ruth was because of her love for Naomi was willing to commit her life to her despite Naomi giving her an option to leave and I just thought yeah that was a really good gospel reminder for me but um, what about you two what kind of stood out while you were preparing for the the sermon <laughs> the series this week in particular yeah I've been loving Ruth man it's been so good for for me to be in the Old Testament I think we you know we can all operate with this this functional position as if the Old Testament is lesser than or not as important as the new because we're New Covenant we're New Testament people uh, and that's just not true like you have all of these um, I think it's Pastor Mark Dever that talks about uh, the Old Testament is promises promises made and the New Testament is promises fulfilled and so I think just being able to get glimpses of the gospel in the Book of Ruth. Um, I think the biggest thing that jumped out of me that I was not expecting was Elimelech and just how much God spoke to me and how much the Spirit used Elimelech's story and his part of the story uh, to really just minister to my heart. I mean, I think Elimelech is like, it's four verses and then he's dead, (laughs) you know? And so it's just a small blimp in the story. But just, I mean, so much is wrapped up. Elimelech's name literally means God is king. And, and yet in his short kind of synopsis, four verses in his role in the Old Testament, he lives as if God is not king, but he is king. And there's so many implications for us. And so we, we branched out some of the implications of what do we do in our suffering? Do we uh, rely on ourselves? Do we go our own way? Do we turn to compromise and sin? You know, he uproots his whole family and goes to Moab and... Um, 
turns his back on the Lord in a lot of ways. It leads to a slippery slope where, you know, they settle there for 10 years. His sons uh, marry Moabite women, which is against the law of God right. in Deuteronomy 7. Um, and it's just kind of this slippery slope of sin for uh, his family. But one of the shocking things that we didn't even really have time to address is how absent God is in Elimelech's decision making. Right. Uh, so this guy whose name literally means my God is king, there's no consultation. There's no evidence of like, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to ask what God is doing. He just ignores the whole thing in Deuteronomy about, you know, repent, turn to me in the midst of famine and I will bring fruit to your land. And he just kind of makes whatever decision he wants to make. And I think there's a, been a word there for me and also I think a word there for our church as far as um, what role does God actually make in our decision making? Uh, what role does he actually make in regards to the steps that we take? And I think sometimes we can just be uh, pragmatic mm. in the decisions that we make, big or small, right? So if, if you're a Limelech, you make a pros-cons list. Should we move to Moab right. or should we stay in Bethlehem? The pros are going to outweigh the cons. Um, let's see. There's food in one place and not food in the <laughs> other place. Like Done. the pros-cons pragmatic list is going to lean towards Moab. And so sometimes we can become more worldly than we are Christian in how we make decisions. Sure. And we can be more focused on what makes pragmatic sense and we can miss, okay, but what is the Lord actually doing? And what is he actually calling me to here? And we can do that in, in who we date. We can do that in where we live. We can do that in what job we take. We can do that in how we parent. We can do that in um, anything, big or small. We can become more, um, and this is kind of a tagline of our church. It's becoming one. We can become more American than we are sure. Christian in how we operate in our decisions. Yeah. Almost like a, what are we praying about? It's obvious kind, yeah. of, kind of posture where it's like, whoa, that's not what we're supposed to be. Yeah. Saying. And I think we see this a lot in like how we bring decisions to our groups. Right. Sure. So we want our groups to, you know, we want to live life together. And so our groups should have some amount of input and say in our decision making. Sure. And we can bring it in regards to like, hey, here's the 12 reasons pragmatically right, why right. this decision makes sense. And also like I kind of prayed about it and I feel like the Lord's like, OK, with it. Sure. And. Uh, I don't know where in church history or church culture we've decided that open doors mean the Lord. Sure. Where it's like, oh, we just assume oh like gosh, the door wow. is open. I'm going to walk through it. That's that's God. I don't know why we started assuming that right. or thinking that. That's right. not anywhere in the scriptures. Um, you know, a lot of times there's open doors for Paul and Acts and he, he says like, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. go there. Uh, and so I think being able to pause and go, okay, Elimelech's off here because he never stopped to consider what the mm -hmm. Lord is actually doing. Yeah. Let's see the a couple of postures too. One is like we just think pragmatically and then kind of baptize it at the end of like what we really think God was telling us. It's like okay, but uh, well, like, did you pray about it at all? <laughs> I mean, did, did uh, you know like even in other ministry contexts, just like making a choice that feels right because we've talked it to death and then going to the people we're leading and being like, yeah, we just really think this is what God wants mm -hmm. us to do. It's like, but we didn't even ask. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we just talked about what we thought would be the best thing to do. Yeah. Um, and it's fine if that's the answer too, but like, are we becoming liars in the way that we kind of present that? And then you, even the thing you're saying about open doors, like I just have heard that so much, especially from young people that have a zeal for ministry, which is a good thing where it's like, Oh, well it's just, there's an opportunity here. So it's what God's telling me to do. But it's like, an opportunity that that you know keeps you from being around people that could disciple you or mature you or keeps you from a you know biblical community or like opportunities to do ministry in places that are really spiritually kind of bankrupt but it's like yeah but it's a ministry opportunity so you took it and i don't know i mean just a lot of that like baptizing our instincts a little bit baptizing our opportunities um yeah i heard a i heard a pastor one time uh talk about how throughout the Old Testament, the open doors are often 
to go away from God's will and God's right. design, right? So Ooh. you think about like Abram and Sarah, yeah. right? Like the open doors for him to yeah. to try to get pregnant with right. his, right. you know, her her servant. Uh, the open door for Jonah is to, to get, get on, on the, the ship boat. to Tarsus, yeah, not to Nineveh. The, uh, the open door for David is to kill Saul mm-hmm. in the cave, not to trust yeah. his kingship to God. The open door. What about Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego? Right, the, the open, open door, door is like stop worshiping. Yeah, <laughs> like the open door is to st- is to stop worshiping God right. and to bow to the oh. idol. And so, just like consistently, the path of least resistance in the Old Testament, at least, is usually not God. It's not always God. It, or, I mean, I guess when I was like, it's not always the right choice. Yeah, like, it's not always the right choice. Yeah. Uh, and I think Ruth is such a contrast to Elimelech there right. because pragmatically, her decision to commit to Naomi and go to Bethlehem makes no practical sense at yeah. all. There's no reason. It's actually the 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 wiser earthly wiser choice for her not to go with Naomi. Right. She should actually go back to Moab. That's an yeah. easier open door for her yeah. where with her people where she can get remarried, she can start having kids, she can just live her Moabite right. life out. It actually makes less pragmatic sense to do what she does. And I think that's just you know something we got to consider and we got to think about is like Man, it's a good thing to have earthly wisdom. It's a good thing to think pragmatically. It's a good thing to, to weigh the pros and cons. I'm not against pros and cons. I'm a big pros and cons list kind of <laughs> guy. But also, like, sometimes our life shouldn't make sense right. if we're following Jesus. And I think I think just, just being able to pause and think about that. What are we going to dive deep on this week, Tim? Yeah, so I, ta- I said this in the sermon, but uh, I mean, I already went long and I didn't even get a chance to talk about Orpah. And so I want to talk just a little bit about Orpah. Um, she's not a huge. Can I interject a fun fact about Orpah? Go for it. Did you know that Oprah's name was supposed to be Orpah, but they changed, they spelled it wrong on her birth certificate and her mom was just like, okay. No way. That's where Oprah gets her name from. And was she supposed to be named after like, yeah. the Orpah in the Bible? Yeah. The one who went back to Moab? Yep. There's some implications. I just there think her mom liked the Bible I don't name. I mean, talk about. maybe, maybe don't. <laughs> hold me to this too strongly. I just heard it years ago and it's stuck in my brain. There's, there's just a lot of words there for people. Right. Um, there's, gosh, there's some things I want to say about that. Um, let's talk about Orpa. <laughs> On that note, um, Orpa's fascinating. She only gets a few verses. She's she's seen same history as Ruth. Yeah. Marries a son of Elimelech and Naomi. Doesn't have kids. Her husband passes away. She starts out pleading with Naomi, no, we want to come with you. She's weeping. I don't want to leave you. I want to commit. Eventually, after Naomi continues to be like, stop, go home, leave me alone, uh, Orpah listens. But here's what's so fascinating about Orpah. Uh, Verse 14 and 15, here's what it says. It says, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. But notice what Naomi says to Ruth about Orpah. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Hmm. Now that's a that's a right. meaningful detail, right. right? She doesn't just say she's gone back to Moab. She, she's gone back to her people. She's gone back to her old way of life. Hmm. She's gone back to her gods. And so, if Ruth's commitment to Naomi is a conversion experience, right. the way that you got to think about Orpah in the text is that it's her not just turning her back on it's Naomi. Kind of a deconversion experience. She's turning her back on God, yeah. right? And so, you got to think about okay, she's had ten years. Hmm with this Jewish people yeah. in the Moabite land. And th- and the tradition and custom was for, if you were a woman who married into a family, you entered you into that family's heritage. Yeah. yeah, you took the, the customs of that household, you took the traditions of that household, you took the faith of that household. So it's not unreasonable to, to, to think that Orpah has 10 years of following Yahweh, yeah. of learning what it means, at yeah. least traditionally, customs-wise, in the rituals that she does, of following the Jewish feasts, of following the mm-hmm. Jewish readings and learning the Torah and all of these kinds of things. And so 
here she is now, and it says not that she went back to Moab, but that she went back to Moab and her gods. Hmm. And so I think, you know, if we if we tease out the implications for us, right, if, if the options in our suffering are uh, the bitterness of Naomi, the compromise and sin of Elimelech, I think there's a third option in our suffering of the return of Orpah. Sure. The abandonment of Orpah. Hmm. I just get a lot of, uh, I think my mind immediately jumps to the passage of the four soils, hmm. the, yeah, the parable of Jesus. Yeah, I literally read that this weekend. Right, where he, he talks about... Um, you know, the ways that people receive the good news of the right. gospel. There's hard soil. The gospel doesn't take any yeah. root at all. But then there's these second and third mm-hmm. soils that are so honestly terrifying when you read them, right? Yeah. There's the first of... The it, rocky yeah, and the thorns. The, the rocky yeah. and the thorns, right? So the rocky, it doesn't have deep roots. Mm-hmm. And so when it says when the troubles of life come, when yeah. the storms of life come, the, it doesn't actually bear fruit. Yeah. And then you have the thorns where it starts to grow some fruit, yeah. but then the cares of this world, mm. right? The desires of the heart mm grab it. So and which I think, one would you consider Orpa? I think I would consider her a second soil. Sure. I think there's this reality in which she's got some rootedness, mm-hmm. but now it, she's aware it's going to take an incredible amount of faith and sure. trust in God and sacrifice to take the path of right. Ruth, to go with Naomi. Hmm. Uh, it is me now saying, hey, I got to be all in on this. Because it's sure. one thing to kind of be about the Jewish thing while you're still living in Moab. It's a whole other issue to be all about the Jewish thing and all about Yahweh yeah. when you're living in Bethlehem with God's people. Right. And so I think, you know, if you consider even the the call that Ruth does where she says, I'm taking off all of my old identity mm-hmm. and I'm taking on all of this new identity. I'm claiming God's people and God himself. So Orpah knows this is going to take everything of me right. and she's unwilling to do that. Largely, I think, because of her suffering right. and largely because she doesn't see a path forward of hope. And so, man, I was just thinking about that in terms of what do we think we sign up for when we sign up to follow Jesus, hmm. right? Do we think we sign up for blessing happiness, con- everything going perfect, everything going well. I think this, you know, lie of our modern day Christianity where it's like sign up to follow Jesus and only everything will get better. Mm-hmm. Only everything will will turn out how you want. Only everything will go exactly according to plan. And then we can be like Orpah. Gosh, yeah. When we face real suffering, when we face real pain and real heartache, we don't know how to handle it. And so we can verse 15 can be our story, Fall right? Away, we return yeah. back to our people and to our gods. I think what I, when I was, it's ironic you said that because I was literally reading that passage this weekend and I wrote in my notes just the soil types and I just wrote no endurance, no perseverance, yeah, like inability to last past suffering, past trial. And it's, it's just, you said like somebody that, you know, has a lot of early growth and stuff, but thinks that life's only going to get better. And I'm just like, wow, just ask anybody that's been a Christian longer than you. <laughs> it's not. You know, it's pretty easily debunkable that yeah. following Jesus just makes life the best it's ever been. And it's good, and it's a lot of good fruit, obviously, and a lot of um, good gifts, but easy, perfect, not And I think shot. I think there's there's some danger, and we have to be careful in how we talk about our conversion experience, right? right? Because I think one of the dangers in how we talk about it can sometimes be, um, I tried everything else, and nothing worked. Right. And I found Jesus. Right. And Jesus was the one who brought me this, this, mm-hmm. this, and this. Good things that he does bring. Fulfillment. Joy. Um, life. with like the good right. things, right? But I think sometimes when that becomes the basis right. of our faith, uh, and there's not that endurance like mm-hmm. you talked about, then what happens when those things stop being as uh, preeminent True. in our face? Yeah. Right? What happens when it doesn't feel like he's bringing joy? When right. it doesn't feel like he's bringing contentment? When it doesn't feel like he's bringing lasting right. peace? Right? We know that he brings those things. There's a promise in the scriptures. What happens when we don't feel that? I remember um, 
there's a particular college student that that I worked with um, and was discipling and mentoring when we were in Louisville. And I remember uh, he was follow, trying to follow Jesus, and about a year into this whole Christian thing for him, uh, he just walked through some pretty intense suffering mm. uh, with some sickness in his family and things like that. And one of the common refrains he kept hearing from his fraternity brothers is basically like, hey, man, are you done trying the Christian thing? Like, huh. like, have you found that it's not working? Like, yeah. have you found that, like, you went after this Christian thing and what you told us for a year was, like, this is what's bringing you peace, yeah. this is bringing you joy, and now it seems like your life's going bad and you don't have those things. Huh. Like, are you are you done trying the Weird. Christian thing? Do you want to try something else? What's the, what were they offering instead? We uh, well, that. nothing. Yeah, and right. that, that's the, the catch-22 of, like of you drink and be merry, our life secular culture. A little bit, sometimes. Yeah. Um, or this, like, you know, the hodgepodge of, right. you know, this pick and choose from different parts of our religion. And he really wrestled with that. Yeah. And the Lord was faithful and mm. kind to him and, and brought him through that. But it was a, a genuine wrestling of, like, the, the question Orpah wrestled with. Am I going to go back to my people right. and my gods? Am I going to go back to, hey, this didn't work for me. And what we mean by work is it didn't give me mm. on the surface what I thought it was going to give me. Am I willing to play the long game of endurance, trusting in the Lord even in the midst of that? It's tough because sometimes I, I worry that I'm a little bit cynical when I try and communicate this <laughs> in a way that's like, oh, I don't know. But like sometimes I really have this urge to kind of curb people's expectations when they start following Jesus in a way that feels really sad a little bit of like, I mean, I remember even this summer we had a friend that was hopping in to kind of checking out following Jesus with us. And they kind of just said something to the degree of like, yeah, I've been really struggling with these very um, kind of front facing sin patterns and I just don't want to do them anymore now that I'm following Jesus. And it's like, yeah, that's awesome. You're going to want to do them again. <laughs> like maybe not now, maybe not for months, but like, that you're going to want to do and kind of indulge in the vices of your previous self. They're going to, the desire is going to come up again and I'm glad you don't want that now, but I don't want you to think when that happens later that this has all been a sham. And I just like, it feels wise and also kind of cynical when I say that Mm -hmm. of like, yeah, you're going to want the things you don't want again. And following Jesus does not equate to not necessarily wanting the things you've wanted that are sinful before. You know what I mean? Like, well, there, there can be a, I mean, we talked about this with the cynicism sermon a few months ago. There can be kind of this cynicism that comes with like, quote unquote, what we think is spiritual maturity. Right. Oh, right? I'm just where so we're weathered like, and mature. Yeah. Know? Where it's like, oh, you're so passionate about Jesus. Like, just wait till you suffer. Right. And that's wrong too. Yeah. Right. And there's, there's an offness to that as well, that we have to get past that as well and start looking at the hope and right. looking at the, the joy that comes on the other side of that. Um, and I think there's a lot of wisdom, you know, we've been talking about this, I'm on that, this church history kick right now, but there's a lot of wisdom in like, when you decided and declared before the church you wanted to follow Jesus, normally for the first at least five or six hundred years of church history, you went through three years yeah, catechism. of catechism. Yeah. Three years. And a lot of what you read about it of like, why do you basically, there's this, this one back and forth, I think it's in 300 AD, um, where it's kind of this back and forth between these two early church fathers and the ones like, why do you put the, them through mm-hmm. such like strenuous stuff basically and that's the modern day paraphrase and Mm -hmm. uh the response is like because we want them to be able to weather the storm yeah we want them to be able to follow jesus for a long time and there's a sense in which like three forcing this long catechizing process is what basically goes hey we want to make sure that you are you know what you're signing up for and you know what you're getting into and when the passion of it fades in six months when the passion of it fades in a year year and a half two years that you're still going to understand what following Jesus means and why it is still better and why it is still good and why it is still true and lasting even when the storms of life come and that's what you have to get to you got to you got to get past the initial um, infancy of like everything's awesome I'm following Jesus you got to get through the cynicism 
in the first wave of suffering, <laughs> and you got to get to the other side of hope. Right. Um, and and that's a that's a lifelong right. journey. And we don't offer three years of catechism, but it is why we put so much emphasis on equipping and discipleship in the context of our family, because, you know, we might not have three years of formal training, but we do have a diverse group life, right? We have, that's, it's why we don't separate all the young college age students on their own. It's why we don't separate the men and women in our group settings permanently. It's why we don't separate single people and married people because we might not have three years of catechism, but I do have a person that's been following Jesus longer than me <laughs> that's seen it before, seen what I've seen. And I do have people fo- that haven't followed Jesus as long as I have that it's like, Oh, I see what you're going through. I recognize that I've done it before. Like, let's help each other. We, we are getting the opportunity to help each other, you know, bear the roots that will hold us on longer when we're doing this together side by side. Yeah. Know? Cause my, my 20 ish years of following Jesus yeah. needs the life of a new believer, right? Needs the joy, mm-hmm. needs the excitement, needs the look at what Jesus is doing. Yeah. Look at the gospel. And they need my 20 years of right. like, this is tough, and yeah. and here's what you here's some systems, and here's some stuff, yeah. and here's the spirit, and here's uh, some of what I've learned, and we need each other in both right. of that. I need it for for my cynicism, for my uh, angst, for my distrust. They need it for some endurance, yeah, and uh, both ends. It was funny. So we had a I had a friend from our church who just took the membership class. Text me and his Sunday team leader this week and say, "Can I serve three times a month?" That's awesome. And I just like rolled my eyes a little bit. And I was like, no, I mean, whatever, sure. But because to me, it's so like, it's like, what? Because <laughs> like, I, I just need like, I, it was a nice reminder and a little bit convicting of like, oh, obviously I love Jesus and I love our church, but I think sometimes the excitement is lost when I've done Sunday gatherings. I mean, if I do them on average 40 times a year, which is much less than what I do nowadays, 40 times a year for 25 years, I mean, that's what a thousand gatherings is that number right or is that you're yeah. asking a pastor to do math i have no idea sure it's it's over a thousand sunday gatherings throughout my right. lifetime <laughs> you know what i mean and and some I, I you know i love to get to be with our church family and sometimes the gathering can just feel really rote really mechanic mm-hmm. so i don't know it's a bit of a good kick in the pants to be like oh he's excited to be here and mm-hmm. he should be and so should i um needing the enthusiasm of, of newness i guess yeah, and I think uh, we can kind of kind of end with this. Sure. I, I think the the really devastating part of of Ruth one to me is Orpa. Yeah, uh, because she misses the blessing of right. chapters two through four. Yeah, and you know I'm like you're you're sad for Naomi, mm-hmm. but you but you know like yeah. you know like something's coming. The Lord is up to something. Right. They're back in Bethlehem. The harvest is coming. There's so much good still in store for Naomi, and Orpa misses it right because she turns her back. Yeah, she chooses the path of least resistance. She goes back to her people and her gods, and she misses what the Lord is doing. And th- and that yeah. to me is is a terrifying and a just sad yeah. reality. And it's sobering that she did that after a decade. She, you know, the capacity to walk away after a decade of being a part of the covenant community. So we're continuing on with Ruth for the next three weeks before we get to kind of Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and Advent. Um, so I don't know what if there's going to be a question or if that's it. We're continuing on with Ruth for the next three weeks until we get to Thanksgiving and Advent. So we are excited to, to be doing that together. We'll see you at the gathering this Sunday. Catch you next time.